this week, we say let's do the show right here with Nick Lieberman, director of Theatre Camp. Plus, we set up a mandate with Harris Dickinson, the star of Scrapper. And we clone ourselves to talk to Joel Taylor, the director of Lay Cloned Tyrone. All that, plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that, speaking of Tyrone, was in Ireland last week. And let me tell you, there's more to Ireland than this. It's a really rather beautiful country. I had completely forgotten. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm back in the studio and I'm joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. This place is grey. It should be green. Isn't that right? Geek queen, but also Ireland's finest, Helen O'Hara. That's right. Hello. That's right. How are you, Helen? I don't know why I'm putting on an Irish accent. Especially when I was in Northern Ireland. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but neither of your accents could comfortably be described as Irish or indeed Northern Irish. They they fall into I don't know what they are. Either of you. I think both of our accents can be described as Northern Irish. Could they? Great big fucking nerd, yeah. James Dyer. Welcome to the show. I, I, they're both left of you. Somewhere I'm not letting you think, hijack this lot of the introduction. No. I'm not letting you do it again. <laughs> I no think way. Both of your accents fall somewhere in the Irish Sea. At, at the very least, they're they're swimming in the Irish Sea. All right. <laughs> Helen I mean, Helen is clearly Helen has a sort sort of kind of uh, upper middle class. Wow. Northern Irish accent. She's been to a few elocution lessons. I She's... have not, but my mum has. Okay. Helen is a legitimate political party. Um, we heard an actor to say that. I am just all on my own. Um, but no, uh, I, I am from Port Stewart, which is famously, as you know, Chris, because you went last week. The Empire Podcast strongly condemns these acts. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Port Stewart is, is, is quote unquote posh. It is Ireland. posh. It's, yeah. it's, so it's like yeah. the OC of Northern Ireland. In, in fact, <laughs> oh god! In fact, uh, last week when you guys were recording the podcast, I'm very disappointed you didn't mention this. Uh, I was actually in Helen's neck of the woods, yeah, not not her parents' house. They, <laughs> they, I wasn't no, they, I wasn't allowed to cross the, cross the, the threshold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have to be invited in. Uh, you have to be invited like into a, a Catholic's house <laughs> if, if you're Protestant. Otherwise, you'll burn up. Um, but I was in Port Stewart. I was on the Strand in Port Stewart last week. Uh, so the Strand is down the road. Chris. Took a little drinking game uh, to uh, to the beach uh, and in, in the sea. Went to Harry's Shack in Northern Ireland, which is an amazing place. There's a lot of great uh, seafood. You mm-hmm. seafood then you eat. And uh, there we saw a seal. Yay! You, so you saw a seal. I saw a seal. Sounds um, crazy. I know. He said, I'm never going to survive. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was in the water uh, trying to uh, get LDG to do a bit of swimming in the water. You were in the, the water. water. was freezing. Sharks in the water. Yes. Oh, my, shark. My nipples were in the water. My job was beached last week. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So people were running away. They were like, what the hell is it? It's, it's a kaiju. And I was like, just me with my nipples out, folks. It's nothing to be scared of. And this seal was like, what the fuck is that? And started swimming for the beach. Uh, but it, we, seemed, we seemed to think it was, a, it was an injured seal. But it came out. I watched this thing just swimming along, like making a, a, a beeline or a seal line in this case for, for the beach. And it turned out to be a seal. I'd never seen one up close before. Naturally, loads of people gathered around it. Um, they were largely idiots and they thought that it was injured. It was injured, but it was trying to get onto the beach yeah. to have some respite. And so these people then chased it back into the water Ugh. and you know became a bit of mob mentality. That's, and I, I feel, not, I feel I bad. Just, I just like to say that's not, not a Port Stewart thing. That's all the tourists they were all, who come they in. They're all the out of towners. Exactly. 
coming in here and stinking up coming the joint with their terrible, and, terrible attitudes. And scaring away our seals. Scaring away our seals. It's so weird because uh, I had never really, I, in fact, I'd never seen a seal in Northern Ireland at all. And I interviewed Michelle Rodriguez for Dungeons and Dragons. And I said, what was your Northern Ireland experience like? And she was great. It was, I went, used to go swimming and all the seals would come towards me. And I was like, you're full of shit. There's no, there's seals doesn't, doesn't happen in Northern Ireland. And the one time I go to the beach, <laughs> a seal comes seals. up to me yeah. going, Michelle Rodriguez says hello and shot me twice in the knees. Did yeah. I tell you I went to the beach from Dungeons and Dragons when I, I was home. I don't know what the RCO Michelle Rodriguez says hello. <laughs> oh boy. I am a representative of the D&D. <laughs> did I tell you I went to the Dungeons Sorry. and Dragons beach though? I did. And I went and Did you walk up to the rock? I walked up to the rock. The rock actually yeah. isn't there, is it? It is. It is. The yeah, actual rock. The actual he walks rock. over is there. Yeah. yeah. And you walked over the rock. In fact, I walked over the rock. He walks over it because it was there. Yeah. It wasn't in the script. I assumed it was a stunt rock. It was a real rock. They made a joke on set that we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons and we're talking about (laughs) Reggae Sean Page's character, Sank, uh, who in that movie is on a beach earning 20% and he walks off and he steps over a rock. It's much funnier in it's the film. It's a lot funnier. <laughs> it's a lot it funnier in the film. It doesn't sound funny to step no, over a rock, but it doesn't. really was funny when he stepped over the rock. Very, very funny. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah, I went I went on a little walk to get there. Where is it? Um, it's So basically, it's Ballantoy, um, but if it, if you're coming from the harbour, you've got a you've got a little bit of a walk past some very friendly sheep and some loads and loads of like bunnies and stuff. Um, I think you can probably get there from White Park Bay as well, but I haven't haven't proven that to myself. All right. There yep. you go. Uh, shall we have a question? Let's do it, please. Um, how are you both? That wasn't the question. Yeah. question. That wasn't the question. <laughs> readers of readers written in panic shout out. Are you okay? <laughs> Ask, no, I'm not. Ask James and Helen if they're okay. <laughs> Did you do enjoy the Pilot TV live show that you obviously attended last weekend, our, our 250th show. I thought it was great. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I thought, thought, thought you did. Yeah, it was. Yeah. The way I thought you I saw had... you in the audience there. Yeah, that was yeah. me. Definitely yeah. me. That was that would have been me uh, there in the audience We're watching. Uh... Yes, that's me. <laughs> I expect you're wondering how I got into the situation. Me on Saturday night enjoying anything else, literally, literally anything else. Bathing in acid. Mm, lovely I acid. I love it. No, I hear that it was. Um, that triumph. it happened. Yeah, it, it happened and it was average. It was how was it? Was it good? It was good. It was good. Yeah. We we had lots of fun. Unfortunately, I did not win the Great Pilot TV Bake Off. I was I robbed heard. by Kay and her cookies. Not a euphemism. Just because she could like cook and stuff. I think hey, excuse unfair. me, excuse me. Cray Bakes from craybakes.co.uk said that my lemon drizzle cake, which had the Pilot TV logo, iced onto it, uh, not, tasted okay, shop bought. Now, he didn't say which shop, crucially. That is crucial. <laughs> so if we're talking Morrison's, that might not be a compliment. And but, first of all, when you say the logo was iced onto it, that's because you had it printed out and put on as a thing. It's, it's not like you dyed, <laughs> it's not like you dyed the icing and carefully, you know, hand iced it. I like did I actually saying. dye the icing on top of the cake. Yes, but you dyed it all yellow. You didn't dye it yeah. multiple colours to get the that's, logo perfect. James, just, you yeah. have yeah. proved nothing. <laughs> well, look, as long as we don't have to have an Empire Bake Off. We did that kind of um, once before where we all had to make uh, cakes once for you, Chris. And, that's right. uh, that was yeah. traumatic for, I think, at least several people involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't this is the first Nick's cake I've ever over. made. I've never made a cake before. It was oh. a triumph. Well, by that standard, then, yeah. yeah. How long were you on the toilet? <laughs> I didn't get to eat it. I fed it to the audience. Oh, Funnily on. enough, our subscribers fell off a cliff shortly afterwards. <laughs> it was a string of unexplained deaths. Fell or drove off. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I literally, I fed, I fed, force-fed my cake to everyone in the audience. It was, uh, it was extraordinary. Uh, that's not a euphemism. Okay. Yeah. All right, good stuff. Well, that's one live show down. Um, they've done theirs, and now it's time for us 
to show you how it's done. Uh, September 9th, London Podcast Festival. It's alarmingly close. Um, I should probably start thinking about trying to book a guest. <laughs> September 9th, just over two weeks to go. Yeah, best stop baking cakes. We're going to be there. It might it might come to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way Hollywood's going to be present. Yeah. To turn out and meet out a handshake. Uh, we're going to be there September 9th. Helen's going to be there. James is going to be there. I'm going to be there. Um, someone else will be there probably. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I think tickets are nearly sold out for that one. Um we haven't announced any stunt guests to try and drive sales, unlike some <laughs> desperate podcasts. Hey, uh, I can't help it if Ricky Gervais <laughs> is a long-standing fan of the Pilot TV podcast. Had he heard of it? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> He'd heard of Boyd. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's all that matters. Boyd might be the guest <laughs> at this point. Uh, well, so that's September 9th streaming tickets are on for sale right now so you can go to kingsplace.co.uk to buy streaming tickets for that and also to, to snap up the last remaining tickets for that as well it's going to be a lot of fun and then on September 14th yes. uh, me and James and Helen are going to be doing a mashup <laughs> podcast with drunk women solving crimes and I think tickets for that are still on sale that's going to be in Hall 2 yeah. at King's Place mm. same URL kingsplace.co.uk I have still no idea how that show is going to work well, out. They, they are very funny. So they we're going are to professional trust, comedians. We're going to trust that they are going to be very entertaining. Yeah. And we're just going to bumble along as And we're we idiots. So between us, we can solve a crime. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I'll probably have committed it. So we'll have insider knowledge. So That might help. Yeah. That's it. If we can kill someone before the, the podcast, we will have an advantage. <laughs> yes, we will. I, as your lawyer, guys, let's not. Though. Let's not. Okay, we'll see how it goes. No killing. No killing. No killing. <laughs> I just winked. Stop winking, Chris. Yeah. Stop winking. That's right, Helen. Don't you worry. We will absolutely kill nobody before that podcast. Hey, or at all. Or at all. Yes, of course. Stop winking. Shall we have a question? Yeah, please. Uh, question is, I did a panicked shout out. George Gilead is the one whose question has tickled my fancy this week with Ahsoka bringing some animated characters into the live-action world this week. This is going to be right up Jimbo Street. Oh, God. <laughs> Boulevard Jimbo. Which other animated characters... Sorry, no, I've completely misread that. Which other animated properties would you like to see have their stories continued in live-action, TV or film? Hmm. I immediately have a, an answer, um, which is one I've probably given many times before in this podcast, and that is Howl's Moving Castle. And the reason is that I think Hollywood is sleeping on Diana Wynne Jones's properties, uh, her books, and I think they could be freaking great in it's live action. It's a win win situation. It is a win win with a Y and two N's and an yeah. E. Yes, mm -hmm. I like it. Um, so, yeah, so Hull's Moving Castle is actually the first of a trilogy with Sophie and Hull. So, you have the, prop the potential there for a franchise. Hull's Letting Castle and Hull's Foreclosing Castle. N no, no. But um, what happens? <laughs> um, they, uh, they have further magical adventures with weird things going on. Basically, I don't, I don't want, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to give you the full rundown of wow. lots of the other two. Good pitch, but they're really good. They are really good. They're really charming, quirky, weird, um, and I think a bit different from what we've had before. Where, while still, you know, obviously inspiring uh, a crazy mad fan base. Because if you ever I tell you what, if you want to go on Etsy and look for Howl's Moving Castle merch, there's a million and one things. Is the book as mad as the film? 
Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, this is the thing about like Diana Wynne Jones' books. Like they're they've she's got these crazy big brilliant ideas, and um, and they absolutely would make fantastic films. And with the exception of the BBC adaptation of Archer's Goon, which is fun, but you know it was a BBC like eighties or nineties adaptation. Like nobody's nobody's done them really, apart from that one Miyazaki. So that is. F- like an absolute no-brainer for me. If I were, you know, David Heyman, that would be my next movie. I see. Would it be that, or would the Crestomancy books come first? Yeah, I love the Crestomancy book, and again, that can be a, that can be a franchise because you just cast somebody incredibly charismatic as Crestomancy. The obvious thing is like a Benedict Cumberbatch mm. or like David Tennant a couple of years ago before he did like a million of these characters. Um, <laughs> But but really, you could go anywhere with that. If you want to be cool, you could go like a Paul Mescal or somebody. I'm sure that would work. Um, Hiddleston would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, Crescimanchi is this uh, dimension-hopping magician who turns up in a bunch of her stories. And they find he's a nine-lived enchanter. Yes, Helen. he is. And he's a wildly, wildly eccentric and fabulously well-dressed and tends to turn up and mystify people at first and then eventually like solve the crime. Anyway. But those, they're just, they're all great books. You they know, are great Magicians books. of Caprona, yeah. Tale of Time City. These are fucking fantastic books that somebody should adapt. Yeah, they're books, but not animated But they series. are, but Hull's Moving uh, Castle, no, Hull's no, Moving no, Castle no. was animated, so I'm... Yeah, no, we, we strayed no, from the past. No, I'm no. allowing myself to say it. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Come but on. I think it was, a, it was a worthwhile thing to bring up. So I'm I'm, okay. I'm Team Helen on this particular one. You're both disgraced. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, see, see, I'm I'm also going to go into the continuing animated, mm, no, but rebooting, like doing something different. like so. Rebooting the reboot of Reboot. In Indeed. Invincible is a show that everyone bangs on about, based on a comic that everyone bangs on about. But I refuse to watch it because to my, frankly, unappreciating eyes, the animation feels very Saturday morning cartoon. And I know Amon is out there somewhere banging his head against a what? ball. But it just, it just, I can't get on with the really rudimentary style of it. So if, if I were to see that in live action, I because I know the story, I've watched a whole bunch of episodes, mm. I, I think I'd really enjoy it. Whereas something like Arcane was brilliant because the animation was incredible. And although it makes me massively superficial, looks matter, and I need it to be pretty while I'm enjoying the story. Sorry. <laughs> insight there into your life, I think. Um, yep. Um, I, I, I'm not entirely kidding about Reboot, except that a live-action Reboot would look like Tron, and I'm not sure any of us need that. Mm. What is Reboot for people who don't reboot know? Reboot was a 90s cartoon uh, which was set inside a computer, so basically people would be going about their business and then like a game would drop in and an entire district of this city that they lived in would become that game. Cool. And people would have to act appropriately and stuff, and there was... Um, a big baddie called Megabyte and stuff like this. Like it was, it I've was, really, it was really clever. They, they actually had, if I remember correctly, a Mulder and Scully come in as little sort of droidy type things at one point and had had a whole X Files um, episode. Like it was really smart, really clever. They did reboot, reboot a few years ago. I haven't seen it, but I have heard nothing but bad things, so I didn't chase yeah. it up. Star Trek Lower Decks made an excellent transition to live action. It really did. So Star Star Trek Lower Decks just crossed over with Star Trek Strange New Worlds in a genuinely brilliant Mm. episode um, with voice actors playing themselves live action and uh, their characters, obviously, live action. And it was glorious and, and I wonderful. Have, I don't watch the animated show. I mean, I've seen You're it, but I don't watch out. it. You are missing but, out. But it's great. what I thought they did brilliantly is that they managed to maintain the tone of the animated series, which is vastly different, and adapt it brilliantly to Strange New Worlds, yeah. which is just a phenomenal series. It's a phenomenal it. show right now. I'm loving it. I wonder if we've slightly dodged the question. 
which yeah, was maybe. us, which was was which <laughs> was not. inspired by Ahsoka. And I guess there aren't that many antecedents to Ahsoka in that there aren't really mm. that many extended universes that are in the animated realm. Even in the MCU, for example, there isn't there. There is only really one animated show at the moment. I guess technically speaking, although you could maybe look at resurrecting or extending the the what if animated uh, X Men or the animated Spider Man. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That 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 X-Men animated series is probably the one cartoon that I watched as an adult, like religiously. As in because it was on when I was at university and we used to take over there was because I went to university in like the late eighteen hundreds. we used to go into the little room where they had a TV in our halls of residence every day, because it was on every day, to watch X-Men. And people would come in expecting to turn on things like, I don't know, football or the news, and be like, no, it's Wolverine! Get out! That was a So good, though, wasn't it? There's some jokes in there. Oh, should we do Blockbusters next? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're awful. What were you going to say, Helen, before I... So... I don't know. Oh, there's a joke in there that always made me laugh for some reason. Oh, yeah, it's when um, Wolverine is plummeting from probably the exploding X-Jet, but he's plummeting through the air anyway, um, and he's he's plummeting towards the pond in the middle of Central Park in New York, and he shouts, Ducks! Because both because there's ducks below him, but also because they should duck. It works on both levels. I don't know why it amused me as much as it does, but like 20 years later, it's still in my head. So there we go. So he, he tells people to duck no, by he's shouting, shouting ducks. No, he's he's headed for the ducks. Like he's not going to, he's not heading for any people. Right. So he's, it's, it's almost like an observation yeah. that there are ducks. Because obviously if you're falling from above and you duck, you're still getting hit. It's true. I don't know. This is I don't bad look. Advice. I'm not saying I understand why I find it amusing. I'm just saying I find it very amusing. Really, he should say, "Get out of the way." Something that like that. Advice. Yeah, that would be much yeah. better advice for the ducks yeah. that are below him mm. at the time. But also, they presumably only speak duck. And I don't know if Wolverine does. I mean, he obviously has many languages at his disposal, but I don't believe duck to be one of them. Mm. Hey, I have the right answer, though. Oh, oh okay. And, and it's one that will hopefully stop a Mon Warman wherever he is shouting. He's spinning in his grave. It's, it's, it's a Batman. At his it? listening. It's, it's, I think specifically he likes the Justice League series. He thinks that's okay. the one. And then Young Justice has some good, has some love for it. And then there's a lot of obviously fans of um, of Teen Titans. There's a lot lot of fans of the Harley Quinn animated series. That's also uh, true. Yeah. And, Mm. you know, arguably, like, have they kind of done that in Birds of Prey? A little bit, but also not. So I think it would be one of those ones. It's it's to the DC universe we must cast our eyes. (laughs) As always, Helen. As as always. Mysterious cities of gold. Someday we will find the cities of gold. <laughs> Ulysses? Ulysses! <laughs> another, uh, another, another. <laughs> for any young people who are still listening, God help you. Um, yeah. There were cartoons in the 80s that went for a million episodes. Yes, there were. Must your hands are always ready. <laughs> Do you remember Jason the Wheeled Warriors? I remember Jordan and the Wheelies. That was terrifying. I remember Jason and the Magic Tours. Jason! Jason. No, it was Jamie and ja- the Magic Jamie. Tours. Jason. Oh, sorry, I was, it was watching, Jason and I was the Argonauts. Watching, I was watching Jason Furries. 
Jamie and the Magic Talks. <laughs> yeah, Jason's Magic wheels. Talks was 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 more problematic. Yeah, Danger Mouse. I'd like to see a live action Danger Mouse. No. Si, si, barone. How are si, you going to do Danger Mouse? Im- no. Danger Mouse. Penfold. Shush. No, that wasn't Penfold. Uh, you know, I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, who, what was the? What was he? Not Danger Mouse. There was a. There was the Count Dracula. That was it. Yeah, that's it. Count Dracula. Yeah. Battle of the Planets. Battle of the Planets. Yeah. Planets. What, what's funny is, is that that's a fucking proper anime series, mm. isn't it? That they just totally recut for Western audience, and that really irritating robot was dropped in to kind of narrate the plot so that we understood it. Welcome to the Empire Podcast Nostalgia <laughs> Hour. Oh, lols. Trying to find happiness in the past and failing miserably. If we're going to sing theme tunes, yeah. Rhubarb and Custard. Oh, let's just stop before we get into Henry's cat. (laughs) Uh, Wise words to live your life by. Always stop before you get into Henry's cat. Uh, Oh, fucking hell. Super banana man. Banana man. But when Eric eats a banana. Oh, my God. Super Ted. I went to a Cockney sing-along last night. Sorry, have we stopped at the podcast now? We're no, no, just no. having a nervous breakdown on mass. I, I feel it like you are, but I wanted, I did, you know, Banana Man reminded me of something. I went to. Well, you had a good night. <laughs> Steady. I went to a book launch. My friend Sarah Cook has written a book called Diary of Murders, and um, I haven't read it yet, so I can't say it's good, but I'm sure it is because she's very smart. So um, I went, but I went to the launch, and in keeping with the Victorian setting of the book, she set up a Cockney sing along for us all. So a guy came along and like played the piano and played like doing the Lambeth Walk Oi! and all this kind of stuff. Um, but also like stuff we vaguely knew a bit better like Mary Poppins and things like that. Always in the great being poor. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, and Stop um, on the hat to the Queen. And he revealed that a common like little sort of interjection to songs in the Victorian era was Ava Banana. Ava Banana. That's exactly what they would do between like the lines of a song. Where did it come from? I assume somebody wanted a banana. Was it literally that? Would they pass them out instead of popcorn? I suspect it's a sexual innuendo, actually. You think? Yeah. Have a banana. Blimey. So, wow. Anyway, so if you're ever singing a Victorian song or want to give a song that Victorian flavour, have a banana. Have a banana. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> Christ. Don't. Just don't. <laughs> Save yourselves. Liberate tu tame, ex inferis. <laughs> Oh, dear, indeed. Uh, we're still on Twitter, not X, Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt, slide into my DMs, reply to any of my panic shout-outs, or just any of my tweets or posts once you've stopped laughing. <laughs> Fuck no. Of course. Shall we have a guest? Yes. We have three guests this week. Who do you want first? Three want guests of such lethal cunning. Nick Lieberman, director Yay. of Theatre Camp. Do you want Harris Dickinson, star of Scrapper, or Joel Taylor, the director of Lay Clone to Tyrone? Yay. You know what? Uh, no, actually, no, I'll let you guys choose. Harris Dickinson. Harris Dickinson? Yes. Great. Harris Dickinson. Uh, 
friend of the pod, fantastic young British actor, but also with his eyes on directing as well, maybe in the in the future. Anyway, he is one of the stars of Charlotte Regan's fantastic directorial debut, Scrapper, which is out this week. He plays Jason, who is the father of a young girl who, uh, after shunning her for years, comes back into her life following the death of her mother, and they forge... Uh, a pretty interesting relationship. It's a great film. You should absolutely check it out. Now, I will say, of course, this is a British movie, which is why we could speak to Harris Dickinson, uh, because obviously he is part of SAG, so can't talk about uh, American projects. He can talk about this one, but um, out of a feeling of solidarity with his uh, American brethren, uh, it was decided that we were not able to talk about anything in his past career. Yes. So it's just Scrapper and some other stuff, as you will soon here. This is me from my sister's kitchen talking to Harris Dickinson from the Picture House Central Members Bar. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Scrapper, Harris Dickinson. How are you, sir? I'm very well, dearest Chris. How are you? I'm good. Where are you? Uh, I'm in Soho. I'm at, I'm at Picture House. Uh, the Members Bar. The Members Bar. The lovely I Members Bar. I know it well. I don't is really that your... here. If oh, I'm, really? I'm a member, but I don't really... Do you come in here? I, occasionally, I don't find myself in central London that much these days. I'm in Northern Ireland at the moment. I'm in my sister's ah, kitchen, which explains okay. why I'm holding a microphone in the old-fashioned style. Um, but yeah, otherwise we would be face-to-face right now doing this. But I'm on what I believe is called a holiday, but has <laughs> been anything but... You've just been talking onto Zoom, it seems. I've been talking to the Zoom. I've been doing a lot of writing. I've been doing a lot of editing. Uh, I've been doing precious little holiday, but it's it's fine. It's all good. But yes, I I do go there. When I do go there, there the roof bar is tremendous. They've got a terrace, which yes. you should check out. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen this. Yeah, yeah. It's right. nice. I just feel I feel like before a film, after a film, I should probably come sit here and 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 pontificate on what I'm about to see or what I've just seen. But I don't know. I feel like, do you know when you, you've just seen things, you feel like, I need a minute before I can talk about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you always sort of look to the person you're with and for their reaction, but it's not quite ready yet, is it? Do you wait or do you, are you the first person to offer your reaction in that situation? Or do you wait for to see to see how the land is lying before you... You put yourself no, out there. I try and just give it, regardless of what I think it's going to be. Do you know? Like, yeah. it's the worst thing to tape, uh, sort of uh, change it on what you think. But I feel like I used to do that. I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Loved it. No, hated it. Yeah, you hated it. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is this your cinema? Is this your cinema of choice in London? Or, or where do you where do you go? Uh, I'm My cinema is Hackney Picture House. That's probably the... Is the go-to, but I don't know. I I, I like I like Curzon in in Bloomsbury as well. I go to that a fair bit. One in Finsbury Park, the Picture House in Finsbury Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, close up in in Bethnal Green. I don't know. There's I I I tend to just Prince Charles. I tend to just go where the film is. But I I, I think this is nice because there's there's always something on there. There's so many there's so many screens. Yeah. What's your cinema? My cinema, my cinema. Well, it's my local uh, in Greenwich, the Greenwich Picture House. But in London, I will tend to go to in central London. <laughs> yeah, because I, because I live in Greenwich, I don't think of London as London. I think of London as that thing over there. <laughs> you hey, know Greenwich that. doesn't feel like London. It doesn't. Greenwich does not feel like London whatsoever. So it's yeah. It you drive like some... in the middle of the Maritime Museum and that big sort of lawn, and it's like <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> 
It's like someone took a seaside town and just plonked it down opposite London and yeah. then just yeah, fucked yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty Cutty wild. Sark. I might do that soon, actually. A little, a little Cutty Sark excursion. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, I live near the Cutty Sark, so if you're if you're walking past, oh, we'll do just, it together. Just wave, yeah. Give me a give me a shout. Why give me a shout. We, we should have done the interview on the Cutty Sark. I, I know that'd be wild. I've got a membership. I've got a membership of the the, the RMG. I promise the PRs who listen to this interview, we will talk about Scrapper at some we point. Will, we will because it's a great this film. Is, this is gold as well. Because yeah, this this is gold. This is what the people want to listen to. So I have a membership of the RMG, which is the you know the you know the Cutty Sark and the Planetarium in Greenwich and the Maritime Museum. So next time you're in Greenwich, just give me a shout. I'll get you in for free. Can you take you a guest? Free. Yeah, I can take guests. I can take that's up. A, to... That's a big flex. That's... <laughs> <laughs> it is though. Right, come on, let's have a little. I could take I could take one adult and up to two kids. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. <I> should... <laughs> We should have done it. In, we uh, we should have done this in the Cuddy Sark, and we could have got you and Lola in for free. Ah, amazing! Wow, well, well, it's kids eighteen. Yeah, okay, yeah, perfect. <laughs> you know, I still feel like a kid in my head, so I'm like, I'm like... <laughs> how old is Lola these days? Is she's thirty-five, thirty-six, something like that? <laughs> Thirteen, going on thirty-eight. Yeah. Um... All right. Okay. It's a it's a done deal. It's a done deal. Uh, which brings us nicely onto Scrapper. Now we should say as well that you were doing this in the middle of the the strike, the the SAG after strike. Uh, so we can only talk about Scrapper, which yeah. is uh, and obviously the Cutty Sark in Greenwich. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, that is a very very good thing indeed because this is such a good film. This is you know and uh, you know it it moved me. It it made me laugh. I I I was wowed by by Charlotte's. Confidence as a director, as a first-time director. Mm. What was it? Uh, was that what, what lured you in as well? What what ensnared you? Yeah, I mean, it it was one of those scripts that sort of grabbed me from from the get-go. And also, I'd worked with Charlotte on a short film about four years prior, and mm. then just had a really nice experience with that, and um, loved her sensibility. And then. I feel like, you know, I've, I've worked with younger actors before and there's something really joyful to it where, where it's, you kind of have the opportunity to, to let go of any kind of preconceived notion of, of, of what it is to like be a quote unquote actor. And it's nice to just be free of that and let them steer it a little bit because they're not thinking so much as, um, about, decision and, and performance and you you get to have a bit more fun with it i feel so there was there was that kind of that that drew me in as well the character you know the idea of playing this i mean i'm i'm, I'm uh, the idea of being a dad is is still far away to me i feel like especially to you know in the film he's, he's a dad to an 11 year old which is yeah wild because he's you know so young still so you know that intrigued me and, and it it was something that felt far away and like a, something I'd never done before and, and just became an, a really amazing group of people, you know? So, um, yeah, from start to finish, it was just such a lovely experience. There are moments where it seems like there's a lot of, if not improvisation, there's certainly an improvisational spirit to some of the exchanges you have with Lola. There's, there are moments where the two of you, your characters are, are kind of hanging out and, 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 and they're almost doing improv. They're doing, they're, pretending to speak for other people 
and that yeah. has such a lovely vibe to it. And I wondered if that was something that actually was improved on on the day. Yeah, no, that was all. That was all improvised. Um, we did have rehearsal, and we did sort of try to structure things, but ultimately on the day things did change, and and we just went with it. And Lola and I had fun, and and Alan too. You know, we'd all just sort of mess around, and the cameras would would keep on rolling. So it was um, it was nice. It was it was free. I mean, it was quite scary. You know, Lola's a really good improviser. So at times it was quite scary because you don't know what she's going to say. And she's quite, um, she would be quite cutting. So you'd, she'd be like, she'd look at you and be like, what are you doing? What was that? Do you know what I mean? And so you, 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 there's no, um, there's no hiding with, with, with her really. She'd, she'd sort of, and it took her a minute. Uh, and then this is a good thing as, as, as a, as a kid, it takes a minute to, to gain, um, Lola's trust. And, and that's a, that's an important thing to, to build steadily. But so it's almost like the film's narrative paralleled with our own journey together and sort of journey to familiarity with each other because it took a minute to get comfortable so the idea that you know I'm this sort of new mysterious figure coming into um Georgie's life is, is sort of was sort of matched with the you know real life scenario because she I was just this random dude that she'd never met and um you know so it, it takes a minute, and then by the end of the film, we were we, we were in this really comfortable place with each other, and it's almost like we could have carried on going and 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 doing a, a whole other film together, you know. So yeah, it was Lola's incredible. She's a she's a kind of performer that doesn't need to like rehearse and rehearse. She'll like just do the best take when it's kind of on the day. Like I'll do it on the day. That became a bit of a thing for her. She'd be like, I'll, I'll do it properly on the day. And it's like, okay, you don't really know how that's going to go. But then on the day, she does, she sort of taps into this in- incredible performance and and um, and it's so natural and, and she's so smart. So it just it just sort of flows out of her without needing to like over-rehearse, which is impressive to say the least, you know. Absolutely. Like you need more prep than much. What were you like at that age? I, I was an idiot, man. I was in the fire. I was in the forest setting a light to things. I think <laughs> that was my. I was I was throwing deodorant cans on fires, <laughs> seeing what happened. Um, so it's a wonder you're here. Is basically what you're saying. I wonder I'm here. Yes, I couldn't have conceived of, of acting of being in a thing at that age. I, I obviously loved performing at that age, but I never thought I would, I would be doing it like this. So I, yeah, I'm always impressed when I meet younger performers that are able to like uh, keep their sense of um juvenile sensibility and 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 childlike play because there's a lot of young performers that end up like becoming a bit too old before their time almost you know which is which is a shame because they're in the industry and they've been told to you know, perform and, and rehearse and, and behave and you sort of lose a sense of freedom with a lot of young performers. But so, yeah, it was a, it was a refreshing. Mm. It, it feels in a way, I mean, I've talked to a lot of screenwriters over the years as well, and a lot of screenwriters will say that they sometimes felt the most free when they were writing their first screenplays, when they didn't realize that there were rules to break. You know, and so yeah. they were, and they were just giddily breaking these rules that they didn't even know existed. And I imagine it's the same thing with, with actors when you're growing up. You don't know about 
technique you don't know about even something like this i don't know whether charlotte works like this but hitting marks and your relationship mm. with the camera and all that sort of stuff and then i guess across time that that sort of not rough edges but the the sort of wild unpredictable side maybe that gets sanded away slightly yeah yeah of course also because of the the environment of a film set you you often feel the need to and it's important to cooperate with like everything else going on you know it's not just about what you're doing as an actor but you've got to, you've got to be considerate to the fact that there are marks and there are focus marks and there are certain costume and continuity things but before you know all of that there is a sense of um just uh just freedom with it and you're not thinking about any of the technicalities and then almost as you sort of get go further on you're like annoyingly thinking about all of these technicalities that you you, you sort of adhere to and respect people of their their roles within the, the environment but mm. in a sense that does restrain you a little bit because you you know it's like when you're involved in in filmmaking and you watch films you you can't help but start to think about the Oh, I wonder what like I wonder what lens they were on, or like I wonder if that was a a steady or a dolly, and all of this like technical stuff that you can't help but go to, or or, or you start thinking about the performer and their their own life, or oh, I wonder what age they were when they did this, or did was this their first film, or you know what point in life? It's like you can't help but think it, and that's just not that's just anyone who loves film, I imagine, goes into those thought spirals when watching stuff, and yeah. Yeah, it's the same with music. My my partner's a musician, and it's the same thing for that. So, yeah, mm, absolutely. Well, I've got to let you go in a second, but uh, we uh, we we've, we've we've done very well. We managed to <laughs> we managed to uh, <laughs> to not talk about past projects, which is which is amazing. But um, but how was the strike treating you? I mean, obviously, you're a British actor. You're part of Equity, so you you you, you can work over here. You can work a British project. That's why you can talk about this movie. I can, yeah, yeah. So I'm, a, I am a SAG member, so I obviously like support the strikes and, <laughs> and and stand in solidarity with that. This project is Equity, so I, hence I can support it. It's a British independent film, so I feel strongly about getting behind it and allowing it to have its platform. But yeah, no, I think uh, now's a good time to British independence and a to thrive, you know, and for us to get behind it. Um, I want to ask one last question about the film. At one point, at one point in Scrapper, your character Jason uh, gives out his mobile phone number, mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't called this number, but you 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 said out loud in the film, and I, Is I it don't the want right to, amount of digits. It's I'm the right sure. amount of digits. I was okay. I was because uh, I, I wrote it down. I was like, okay, what happens if I call this number? Whose number is this? So did you just call out a random number? Or is that like a mate that you're stitching up or who's gonna who's gonna get a lot of phone calls? I didn't even think about that. I really should have put a number in of a friend or something, or like a <laughs> local local takeaway to boost boost business. Um no, I just came up with an eleven digit number. But you should give it a call. You should you should you should try you should try it. You should oh, text man. him and say, um uh just saw you in the pub, you look great. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, yeah. Maybe I should give it a call and say I'm here with the the star of the film, Scrapper. I'm here with Harris Dickinson, and and then it'll be it'll be it'll be your number. It'll be your number. That's what you'll have done. You'll have And let's see how we can we can explain that one away. Oh yeah. man. Well, listen, Harris. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure talking to you. Back and. Uh, yeah, uh, next time, see you in the Cuddy Sark, my friend. Yes, um, it's a date.
<laughs> Brilliant. Cheers, man. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, so that was Harris Dickinson. We will be talking about Scrapper later on in the show. Right now, it is time to talk about movie news. Is there any still, apart from the fact that the strikes are still going on, that there there was a potential thawing this week, and then it froze up pretty quickly again, and it looks like this might be going on for a long, 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 long time. Uh, Yeah, it does. Breaking news. Breaking news. That's right, folks. It is the beep, 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 beep. There it is again. The breaking news klaxon. And that can mean only one thing. That something huge broke after we recorded the podcast. And so Helen and James and myself have had to drag our sorry carcasses all of three feet to our remote microphones at home uh, to chat about something. What is something huge that broke overnight, folks? We are doomed. Doom! I'm very upset. Paul Atreides versus the um, um, and uh, the um, yes. Has- Someone in March 2024 placed a thumper in the sand, and the sandworm has diverted until next year, which means no June. Which I have to be honest was the only thing keeping me going this year. So you know that's great. Oh, goodbye, Jimbo. Goodbye. <laughs> Are you going to go into hibernation? I'm not, yeah, I, I'm very tempted to just you know go to bed now and just like wait me next year when June right. comes out. So in case uh, in case people are are lacking clarity, June Part Two has been pushed back. Yes, that's the story. June Part Two has been pushed back. Uh, Warner Brothers have decided that they cannot release this in 2023 because of the ongoing actors and writers' strike. Although I guess in this case the actors' strike was more important to them. Yes, because it has it has a very big starry cast and mm. they realise that there is a value to having actors in your movie who can then help you promote your movie. So maybe you should also pay actors, just a suggestion. <laughs> but um, but yes, the film will now be debuting on the 15th of March. The Ides of March and nothing bad ever happens. The Ides happens. of Ibad. The Ides of Ibad. <laughs> See, it's all, it's all so part nerdy. of the new marketing campaign. It's fine. Is uh, it bad? <laughs> to be fair, much as this has upset me, I am not shocked. Not least of all because I may or may not have spoken to Denis Villeneuve quite recently, and he may or may not have basically said, if they don't swear the strike, this is going fucking back. Uh, so, yes, I, I'm not shocked, but I am saddened. Did he say it in those exact words? Those, no, he, <laughs> that was right. yes, those exact right. words, but in a slightly more French-Canadian accent. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> it, it is... Um... Yeah, it is, you know, testament to how important star power is when the studios yeah. need it, I think. Um, it's obviously really disappointing for us. It's it's actually probably disappointing for him because I think mm. somebody said they had a, a clear sort of six weeks on IMAX screens for June um, in the original release date. And that is not necessarily going to be the case in March at the sort of opening of blockbuster season. You say that, but all the blockbusters that are meant to open in March, April, May and June of next year May probably also. haven't finished. So that they're going to be pushed possible. back. That is also possible. As well. So yeah. the the big losers here are theatre chains and cinema chains. Yeah. Who now have to find themselves scrambling to fill screens. Uh, and at a, at a time when things are quite precarious in, in the industry anyway, mm. this feels a little bit like Pandemic 2.0, but this time it's self-inflicted. And it, it's, it's, it's not ideal. There is absolutely some of that. I will say that they still have uh, Wonka and Aquaman and The Colour Purple, all For big now. films coming. Well, they haven't moved them. Um, they were maybe expected to with Dune. Yeah. Um, so those are still on the schedule for the end of this year. So there is, there are still, you know, things happening. This may even 
lead to less of a blockbuster kind of pile up at the end of the year? Maybe there's an upside. I'm really struggling to find one, guys, but um, I have to wait more for Dune. Come on. There was a lot of on, on, on social media, and understandably a lot of like the raging and shaking of fists at Warner Brothers for pushing it back. I will say, while I don't want to defend studios, certainly not the current climate, I do think they made the right decision. Because I kind of feel like with a film like that, when you when you do have a Chalamet and a Zendaya who can bring in a younger audience and who have massive star power, I think to not be able to wheel them out cripples the film out of the gate. And since, frankly, we want to see a third Dune film, I feel actually this will be very much for the best. I think let's 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 push it back till March. Let's give it the best chance it can have. Let's give it all the publicity and the oxygen it can get. Hopefully, get massive viewing figures for it, and then Denis gets to finish his trilogy, and we all go home happy. So, whoa, whoa, yes. trilogy? wait, 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 wait. We're planning a trilogy. I mean, I don't want to necessarily spoil the new issue of the magazine, which is on sale next week. Uh, but yes, he is planning a trilogy of films. So, exciting times. Well, that's interesting. Uh, June part trois, uh, right. as they say in Montreal. Uh, so I, I, there's, there's a couple of things about this one. As you've just mentioned there, Jimbo, June part two is on the new cover of Empire. It is the cover feature in Empire. Someone let James write a cover feature. Dude! Oh, dear God. <laughs> it <laughs> is the just whole feature. It's yeah, 3,000 3, words, but it's actually just one word with many, many it's just news one in word, it. Yeah. 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 So it's performance words. art um, <laughs> in so many ways. And uh, some people might think that this is unfortunate timing, and you could certainly see that from that perspective. But I, I choose to accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative, latch onto the affirmative, and don't mess with Mister In Between. I think this could be a good thing because right now, if you want to know about June Part Two, then the only place in town to get that information is from James Dyer's feature <laughs> for the next four or five months you can't watch the film but you can hear me bang on about it endlessly so it's a win-win yes is it is it a win-win <laughs> is it a win-win we i wonder yeah so that's a, that's gonna be available next week which is, is. Uh, which is very very exciting uh our our thoughts on this have been well documented in terms of the strike we would very much like um, to, 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 to uh to uh get off the pot and um and meet the writers and the actors more than halfway and pay them what they deserve, quite frankly, because without them, you don't get any of this stuff. But um, but for the time being, we have to. They have to roll with the punches. The industry has to roll with the punches. I hope there's enough product coming. I hope this isn't the first shot across the bows. I hope this doesn't lead to the likes of the Marvels moving as well, and the aforementioned Wonka and Aquaman two, which doesn't even have a trailer yet and is out in four months' time, supposedly. All of those films moving would be, I'd say. Pretty bad for the industry. Um, you know, you can put, you can re-release films. You can extend the lives of some films. Maybe this will get Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, the IMAX screen that it quite frankly could have done with before Barbenheimer came along, uh, like a speeding runaway train. Um, uh, but apart from that, it feels I don't know a little bit of a, a disappointment. Yeah, it's a really tough time for cinemas, and this isn't this kind of thing isn't helping. So. Uh... Fingers crossed for a quick resolution and some actual serious offers, I would say. So, fingers crossed. Some people said moving it out into March maybe takes it out of the immediate thinking in terms of Oscars. <laughs> That's uh, if the so Oscars sure. have happened before the middle of next year, which there's no guarantee they will have. So, Absolutely. We shall see. Yeah, that's that's no, but that is a serious uh, discussion because I think it would have been in the running, at least in the technical categories. Um, and for my money, it should have been in the serious every, big every categories category, as well. Every category, best um, film. 
Yes, but historically, the, you know, the, they have not been open to sci-fi and fantasy, particularly in the big categories. So we mm. might have expected a better showing um, in, you know, costume and VFX and so on. Um, and I'm disappointed that won't be the case. And I also wonder if the Oscars will happen as planned. Historically, that is when strikes have sur- suddenly been settled, has been when the Oscars are threatened. <laughs> oh no, not the Oscars. Do you know, interestingly, the Oscars were originally designed to slightly kind of um, siphon off some energy from the labour movement, uh, weirdly. they So there, there's a certain, I don't know, there's a certain poetic justice, I guess, to the looming threat to the Oscars being a reason to settle a labour dispute. Uh, just settle it. I don't care how you settle it. I don't care. But I, I, I care you settle it and you settle it soon. So settle yeah. it. Hey, listen, as we know, the studio heads all listen to this podcast. Sort it out. Sort it the F out, um, because that sandworm is sitting there desperate to go to the Oscars. It has an XL tux ready to go, and it wants to have its night out. So don't make the sandworm sad, that's all I'm going to say. I hear the entire cast were going to arrive at the Oscars by sandworm. <laughs> by sandworm. Uh, drinking heard. their own piss. Is what I heard. So <laughs> keep your friends close. Keep your friend and knees closer. That's what yes. I say. Oh boy! Breaking news! Breaking news! Back to our regularly scheduled programming, I guess. Thanks, James. Thanks, Helen. Bye. Bye. But there is some news. There is some news outside of the strikes. Um, first of all, at Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget has been confirmed for uh, the London Film Festival. That will be its its world premiere. Look. I'm just giving you what we have, Chris. No, that's good. It's good. I'm, I'm just... Artmen are renowned for their puns. Yeah. There's no pun there. There isn't a pun there, no. What, what, well, am, am I missing are they, something? Are they really renowned for their puns they in their titles? very much renowned for their puns. In like, their titles. Yeah, like the wrong trousers. Matter of loaf and death. Okay, that was a great pun. And Curse of the Were-Rabbit isn't really a pun. It's just no. a play on words. Mm. Shaun of the... Shaun of the... I nearly said Shaun of the Dead. Shaun um, the Sheep is kind of a pun. Farmageddon. Yeah, Farmageddon is uh, a pun. I love that film mm. so much. Shaun the Sheep is a pun. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. But, but anyway, the, you know, I'm sure it will all make sense when we see it, but that is that is happening at the London Film Festival this October. But really, the big news this week, it's all about trailers, and in particular, mm. it's all about Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon trailer. That's no moon. It's a rebel moon. Trailer. <laughs> um, this is a fucking fantastic trailer. I've Isn't got it? To say. It's mm. really, really good. Uh, Zach was in town this week. Chris, what can we say about that? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, so I actually posted the trailer launch Q&A thing yeah. in, in the UK. Zach Snyder and Deborah Snyder uh, flew over to show... I think we can say some footage from Rebel Moon, but we won't say what the footage is. No. Uh, to uh, some press and to some fans, Zack Snyder fans, and to some influencers. And then he and Deborah unveiled the trailer, which is mm. a franchise trailer, which is uh, which which covers a Rebel Moon Part One, which is a Child of Fire, which is out on December twenty second this year on Netflix, and then Part Two, The Scar Giver, uh, which. Scoop alert was not the name of the film whenever I visited the Snyders in the post-production facility mm. a few months ago in Pasadena. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to say what the name was, no, no. but it was not that name. And so this is a f- 
seems like it'd be a fairly late in the day change mm. uh, to The Scar Giver, which is out in April 19th of next year. So two films shot at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, but with four months separating them. And I think slightly maybe shorter than many Zack Snyder films. So, you know, uh, it, it sounds like they're, but they're, it sounds like the, the two are very much going to be sort of two parts of a, of a coherent story. Yes. Um, and this trailer has, I think, footage. I don't think this is telling tales out of school. This is footage from both films. And also he is planning a director's cut, which is not obviously that he hasn't had a director's cut on his his release but an cut, extended. but an extended mm. uh, and I think possibly bloodier, harder version, uh, like an R-rated kind of version. And uh, where, is that going to go to Netflix as well? That so. will also be, I believe, Netflix. Now, I don't know if there's going to be any kind of cinema release for this, but I really mm. hope there is after seeing this footage uh, on the big screen. It is stunning, doesn't it? Mm. stunning looking. Um, so it's basically about Cora, who is Sophia Butella's character, who's... Um, a stranger living among a peaceful village and uh, some bad people turn up and and the villagers are going to need some help to get through difficult times, I think it's fair to say. But, but the story of this is much more sprawling. You've got Jimmy the Robot, the, the Anthony Hopkins-voiced character um, who alludes to a past kind of empire and a past prophecy. Oh, empire, I like that. Yeah, yeah empire's always good, yeah. No no bad empire ever in history. Um, no. and, uh, and, and so it feels like it's immediately got wider stakes and wider wider um, implications than just, you know, a sort of Magnificent Seven, let's save this village kind mm. of a kind of a thing. So. Yes, but that's that's obviously what it is. It's very much inspired by by uh, Kurosawa's Seven Samurai, John Sturges' Magnificent Seven, and obviously there's been so many versions of the, of Battle the, 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 the story. Battle Beyond mm. the Stars in space, of course. Bugs Life. Uh, Bugs Life, Three Amigos. Um, Three Amigos, by the way, uh, co-written, of course, by Randy Newman, who also did the songs mm. for Three Amigos. Uh, his son, Eric Newman, is one of the producers of Rebel Moon. There is you go. He now? Yeah, I was interviewing him on set, and we were talking about... Were you on the veranda? Uh, no, we were not. No. Did you have a plethora of piñatas? <laughs> I did have a plethora of piñatas, oh, actually. Okay. Is it? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, later on, says, maybe I can kiss you on the veranda? No, lips will be fine. Um, anyway... I didn't know he was going to be on set, so I hadn't really done any research. I was just introduced to Eric Newman. And we were chatting away. And uh, I said, well, of course, this is, you know, this has been done many, many, many times. This template has been done many, many times in many, many different ways. And I went, like, you know, Three Amigos. And he went, oh, yeah, Three Amigos. You know, my, my dad wrote that. And I went, what? you're Randy Newman's son. <laughs> Oh my God. And then I spent the next 10 minutes doing my oh, I was going to say, Newman. did oh, you no. immediately go into I the pressure of went to do the impression and he was not impressed. And I'm not surprised. He had me escorted off the set. You won't find a friend in him. I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're a monster. You really are. Oh boy. Yeah. So yeah. He, didn't, he didn't like that. <laughs> anyway, back to Rebel Moon. Yes, back, back to, to Rebel, Rebel Moon. Moon. Yeah. It's kind of very up my street. I mean, not just because it has Michael Husman and Corey Stoll in it. I think but you find it's Michael Husman. Great, and Corey Stoll. But Corey also... Stoll, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it just looks like proper big sci-fi with crazy ideas and beautiful visuals. Mm. And um, okay, yes, still quite a lot of sn- slow-mo. He has his style, but I'm I'm here for it. Not as much slow-mo as you might think. No. I've stayed away from the dialogue to, to, <laughs> to, to quote the old Garth Marenghi joke. <laughs> I, I, I think it is always cause for celebration when you see a new sci-fi-driven IP because mm. they feel few, so few and far between these yeah. days. I think partly because they cost so much money to realise. But it, it, it's, it's a whole new... It's a whole new world. But, it's, uh, <laughs> but it is, and it looks stunning. Have a and, banana. Have a banana. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm really, really psyched to see it. But like, you know, because this stuff feels like the domain of TV at the moment. Like we've had foundation, which looks stunning. Yeah. And this gave me the same foundation chills. Yeah, so. it does. And I, I I would say like, so a lot of people are going to be like, oh, it's, you're saying it's original, but it's not really. This was going to be a Star Wars film. And it's like, it's true, but I don't think it's only something he wanted to do for yeah. Star Wars. I think this has been bubbling away for longer. And I think that this is... He's, you know, he's given it enough, uh, you know, room between Star Wars and this that it is going to feel original as well. Um, mm. So I, do, I don't feel like this is going to feel like a Star Wars ripoff when the, by the time we see it. That's what I'm certainly optimistic mm. of. I have been excited about this project since it was first announced because when it was first announced, or even maybe years and years and years ago, there were rumors that Zack Snyder was pitching a Seven Samurai with Jedi to... Lucasfilm, and that never got off the ground. Mm -hmm. I think they were mad not to take up that that uh, pitch, quite frankly. But hey ho, and it has then since metastasized into what it is now, and that's I think a good thing, like, mm -hmm. like you say, for all parties. But I, there's still a part of me would love to see, like you know, say what you like about Zack Snyder, and uh, you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about about him and his movies. Uh, I think he is one of the great visualists yes. working yeah. in yeah. cinema of this scale today mm -hmm. yeah. and to see what he would have done with lightsabers and Jedi and the would've iconography cool. of Star yeah. Wars would have been amazing uh, what he's done then is he's just basically he you know he has shifted it and reconfigured it for Rebel Moon it looks incredible December and April for Rebel Moons mm. Part 1 and 2. Anything else? Um, also this week, there was an insanely cheesy trailer for the X-Pen Forbles. Um Expendables for I mean, they write it Expend Forbles. So I'm just <laughs> Expend, let's go just call that. it Expend Forbles. In the trailer, which I heard but didn't see, because mm -hmm. uh, you guys were playing it in the pod booth before we started recording, uh, and the they actually have a gravelly voiceover man, and that made me feel so good. <laughs> by the way, if we're, if we're talking about the nostalgia podcast, you know, we're we're talking about that aspect of things. That made me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. It's been a long time since we've heard something like that. And he pronounces it just Expendables. So that seems to be the official title of the movie is just Expendables. He didn't go Expend Four Bills. Well, I, I, you know, he can say what he likes, but yeah. I know what I'm reading. The Expend Forbles, yes, uh, this entire new trailer is is saying, you asked for R-rated action. Oh my God. And now we're bringing you I mean, R-rated action. We've just had John Wick Chapter 4. We're about to have the Equalizer 3, <laughs> I think, and, and Sisu as well yeah. uh, this yeah. year. And there were oh, probably yeah. other ones also. Yeah, we've had so R-rated action. I think, I think we're okay. No, but, but also, did they have the Expendables in them? No. And no. they're quoting twats on Twitter saying how much they want blood and gore and stuff in it. It's like, really? That's what you're looking to for this? They quoted me? Yes, they did. It was all from Chris Hewitt. And oh Chris Hewitt says, yeah. I want to see gore and R-rated action. If I want to see Gore and Bush, I'll just watch footage of the 2004 presidential election. Hey! hey. But it was 2000. Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! I took a punt! I took a punt! <laughs> a perfect joke, completely derailed. <laughs> Come on. Come no, on. It was very good otherwise. No, it, was yeah. a, it was like a hanging chad. In fairness, I, I made the same joke in a review of Conan the Barbarian in the very pages of Empire Magazine some years yeah. ago. Did you get it right then? I did get it right. I, I I actually made that a, a riff on that in my book. I said that you know the attitude to I know censorship Helen. among Americans is that you can have Gore but no Bush. Yeah, we know Helen. Yeah. we know. Page yeah. 
83. 83? That's exactly right. Chapter titled, Have a Banana. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're terrible. Uh, Also this week, there was a trailer for Flora and Son, which is the new film from John Carney. Yes, indeed. Indeed. With Eve Hewson and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And uh, and I would say, as someone who also sought fame, fortune and luck in love (laughs) by learning the guitar, it didn't work out quite so well for me, but then Joseph Gordon-Levitt did not agree to teach me. So, you know, Justin Guitar did instead, and we did not fall in love. Wow. We don't know that they fall in love here, to be fair. It seems fairly obvious. (laughs) (laughs) As far as meet cutes go, teach me the guitar. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, have a banana. Mm -hmm. The fingering is on point. Come on, guys. No, I refuse. Come on. So this is about... Don't fret. Oh, no. Strumming away. Got more guitar puns where that came from. (laughs) Yes, you're the capo of guitar puns. Oh, that's very good. (laughs) Come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. You make a cabal joke. Very good. This is about Flora, who's a single mum played by Hewson, who and is she's Margarine's daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> she's Margarine. And she has a rebellious son, Max, uh, played by Oren Kinlan. And uh, she's encouraged to try and find him a hobby. So she tries to get him to interest in the guitar and he's having none of it. And she ends up learning it herself. But having none of that shite, mum. <laughs> Pretty much exactly that. And, uh, you shove it up your arse. <laughs> an online musician, basically, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, teaches her while, you know, she tries to bond with her son over yeah. music. I mean, in John Carney films, people generally do get through things with the help of music. So I'm optimistic for them, but I don't know how it's going to go. He's made some great films. I'm not saying he hasn't. No, I'm, I'm saying, saying, I'm, saying yeah. I'm, I'm excited about this. It Me looks too, like a yeah. fun trailer, heartwarming trailer in all the right ways, ticks all the right boxes. Your fella's in it. Your man. Your man of the television. <laughs> Jack Rayner. Jack Rayner. Is he off the television? He's off the television. Well, quite a lot of films as well, one. I think. He's on the films. big one. The big films. The small films, big films, medium-sized films. It doesn't give a shit. If it's a film, you'll do it. <laughs> oh, did you see... Um, oh, this is interesting, Ooh. isn't it? Oh, oh, it's nice, isn't it? The first images... I know this is... We're, we're stranded to pilot territory here, but the first Steady. images from the Frasier reboot... I did see those, ...were yeah. unfailed. And it has a date as well, which is the 13th Well, of, he always had a date. He has indeed, indeed. But it's uh, it's coming nice. to Paramount+. Plus. Yes, uh, I'm, I have to say, terrified. Well, see, Boyd is not. Boyd very much holds, because he loves Frasier, but Mm. he does not believe that things that come after can ruin the thing that came before. So he does not believe in my my pissing in the pool. No, but we still, we'll always have Fraser. But at the same time, whatever. But at the same time, you know, you don't want it to be bad. No, And it might be bad. A lot of these reboots are bad. Did you see the pictures? Yes. Because... Did you see Nicholas Lindhurst? Yes, I did see Nicholas Lindhurst. Didn't he have big compo from Last of the Summer Wine energy? No. Yes, he does. No, he didn't. Yes, he does. Have you seen Last of the Summer Wine? Yes, all of it. (laughs) Have you never seen Last of the Summer Wine? I've never watched it. How have you never seen Last of the Summer Wine? No, like I've I've seen that it was on and I've immediately left the room and got a book. What? Why? (gasps) I just, it's not my thing. It's never been my thing. (sighs) Longest running sitcom. I'm sure that's wonderful. That's Did you ever watch First of the Summer Wine? I did. Mm, Not as good. I, I quite enjoyed it. You had Peter Salas uh, playing uh, Cleggie's dad, which was nice. But uh, this is Nicholas Lindhurst. It is. Who, by the way, has a street named after him in Peckham. Lindhurst Street. Lindhurst Way. Ah. There you go. Uh, he plays, of course, Rodney in Only Fools and Horses, and of course, Gary Sparrow in Goodnight Sweetheart. So he is, he is British comedy royalty, and people were losing their shit over the fact that he is in Frasier, even mm. though his casting was announced months ago. Yeah. Well, it's off in the way. Accurate. All right. Is that it for movie news? Go oh, on, please, so. yes. All right. Okay. Should we have another guest? Yes, please. <laughs> <Should> we... Anyone. 
<laughs> Should we have Joel Taylor? Nick. Nick Lieberman? Yeah. Nick Lieberman. He was a director of theater camp in which uh, people, I haven't seen it. Go to theater, go to theater, theater camp. camp. And he co-wrote this and co-directed right. it with Molly Gordon. Correct. Who plays Carmi's love interest Claire yes. in season two of The Bear. But because she is a member of SAG and also stars in the movie, she was not available for interview. He was. This is not why we interviewed him. We would have interviewed them both together, but uh, she has withdrawn from the interviewing race. And we respect that decision. And we say, stick it to the man, actors and writers. Stick it to the man. Here is Nick Lieberman talking about theatre camp with Helen? No. Amon. Sophie? Sophie? Sophie! (laughs) With Sophie Butcher. (laughs) Enjoy. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, Nick Lieberman, co-director of Theatre Camp. Congratulations on the film. I saw it a while ago and I loved it. Um, I can't wait to watch it again. I think I'll be watching it when it comes out this month. Thank you. You know, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited that, uh, yeah, that it is going to be coming out in the UK and that there's, uh, you know, I, I know that the concept of Theatre Camp is it, uh, you know, maybe present everywhere in the world. And yet um, I I am excited that it resonated to hear that it resonated with you. Yeah, definitely. How does it feel to be um, taking it around these film festivals um, this year? Is it exciting to see that it's finally reaching audiences and it's going to be out in the world soon? It's so wonderful to, to, to be able to bring it to all sorts of different audiences and see how it plays. And, you know, especially with the comedy, it's, it's always uh, a, a new and, and, fun experience with every audience to see what they respond to, what works. Sometimes, you know, there's like a big response to a moment that then changes the response to a, a later moment. You know, that kind of uh, variation makes it really exciting um, with every with every new audience, for sure. I bet. Um, the film seems like such a collaborative effort. It was it was co-directed with Molly Gordon. It was written with Ben Platt, Noah Galvin, who were also in the film. And I know it started life as a short film, but how did the idea for it first come about between all of you? And at what point did you know that you wanted to make it into a feature? Yeah, I mean, we had been all friends since we were quite young. I mean, Molly and Ben, there's footage of them in the movie uh, as really young kids. And, and that's not doctor's footage. That is, that is real. Um, and so, you know, we we were all been close for a very long time, all making things together for a very long time. And we kind of reached a point five, six years ago where we were like, let's really try to um, do something a little more focused with, with some of the techniques that we had been, you know, using before ways of working, namely really letting, creating an actor led process uh, in terms of the like generating uh, of the material and the story. And so, you know, Ben, Molly and Noah all had a sense of what kinds of characters they wanted to play that they played really well. And, and, we sort of structured a story and a, a world around around that. Um, and uh, we were able to do that on kind of a smaller scale with, with the short, something that we sort of threw together ourselves. And then suddenly, you know, um, I don't know, we finished that and there was a feeling of like, okay, can we, could this sort of be our way to doing something even larger? Could we, could we use this as a proof of concept? And we wanted to, also going back a bit, just like we were trying to figure out what world do we all know so well? Do we know the kind of inherent uh, absurdity and comedy of and, and have uh, access to? And, and certainly uh, theater and youth theater in particular were worlds we felt very comfortable in. 
Mm-hmm. You talk about yep. an actor-led process there. That's really interesting. What what sort of specific processes did you use on set and when shooting to kind of put that at the forefront? Well, obviously, you know, the three, like three of the lead actors wrote the movie, you know, we wrote it together and, you know, Molly and I co-directing, you know, is like a a very specific kind of um, experience to have somebody who's always, or not always, but was often inside of a scene and somebody who was like sort of outside of it. Not that Molly didn't spend a lot of time behind the monitor as well, but there was just Mm -hmm. a way which the whole uh, environment was really set up to allow actors to to improvise, to craft the moments in real time, um, and and serving. Um, you know, I, I think that that's the main thing that you know Molly had been on a uh, number of comedy sets where it was always let's execute the script and then you know with the ten minutes at the end we'll improvise. And I think she in particular, and, and by the way, she's only not here doing this interview because of the SAG strike, which mm-hmm. you know uh, is an unfortunate part of this whole situation right now um mm. but yeah that 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 she uh wanted to to find a way to maybe make those last 10 minutes what the entire world of shooting a movie would be and uh and yeah our film is really a testament to the the kind of value i mean the story itself is about a bunch of actors banding together to to um yeah get uh a fair deal for their camp and uh, to successfully um, save the industry that they work in, which is, uh, you know, youth, youth theater. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, in terms of it being an actor led process, it kind of goes off in, in a bunch of different directions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. What do you think the biggest learning curve was for all of you in taking theater camp from a short film to a feature length? Um, well, you know, I don't know that it was like precisely like the the learning curve of it, but certainly like it was, uh, you know, we shot this film in 19 days with a bunch of kids, with the improv, with the full musical. So it really was an all hands on deck experience. You know, there was a lot of situations where we had to be rehearsing the musical with the kids while, you know, prepping a set that was, you know, needed notes given on it. And then you know, also rehearsing with the adult actors or shooting a scene even, you know, sometimes these things were all going on at the same time. So I think like getting to uh, really work in collaboration to take on a, a larger project was was less a, a learning curve than just something that we, you know, we really all had to step up to the plate in order to achieve. Did it feel like you were living in a real life version of your film at times when you had <laughs> rehearsals going on here and shooting going on here and all sorts happening at the same time? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we were all living in a house together also. And, you know, a lot of the people, the, the rest of the cast are friends of ours. And, and and so they were, you know, all in one location, all kind of stepping in and writing jokes for each other and, and, and uh, you know, exactly mimicking what the experience of being on at a theater camp was. And then you add into it the fact that there were all these kids who were having a genuine theater camp experience in a certain kind of way because they were you know in this like pressure cooker of making this thing that they had to work really hard on and you know certainly at the end when we wrapped all the kids they're weeping and hugging their parents and you know (laughs) having this complete end of camp scene that we we know so well but it was a it wasn't camp it was the making of a film about camp so yeah yeah 
Um, I think this film is one of my favourite examples of the mockumentary in recent memory. Um, I love the use of caption cards and everything throughout, and it just really adds to it. At what point did you guys decide to go with that format? Yeah, I mean, we, we've always been, you know, Molly and I have always really loved Verite documentaries, uh, and especially like um, The War Room was a huge reference for us about, uh, you know, Clinton's 92 campaign. And, you know, the ways in which movies like that can kind of blend tone very easily because you you just sort of accept that this scene contains this extremely serious moment and this utterly ridiculous, you know, kind of um, window into character. And I think we liked the 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 freedom that 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 uh, style would afford us in terms of the camera as well and and getting to be very loose and flexible and really responsive to actors in much the same way that a documentarian has to be responsive and loose in response to their subject. And uh, we worked with a wonderful, brilliant cinematographer, uh, Nate Hertzellers, and he has a lot of background in documentary. And so he had that discipline of like, we're not going to get another take of this, like this moment that we're capturing right now. Like if I have to run across the hill or find the frame in two seconds, like I'm going to, going to find that. Um, and then, you know, I have a background in documentary editing. So the way we approached that part of it too, you know, we it just always made sense to us that like we were going to make this film almost like it was a documentary. So we might as well, you know, get some of the advantages of telling the story that way, be it with the title cards. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't have interviews, which is a very typical part of the mockumentary mm -hmm. form. And I don't know, I think we were just interested in in creating like that different sort of nostalgic uh, atmosphere that that comes from those verite documentaries mm -hmm. you mentioned the editing there which i was going to ask about because i think one of my favorite like elements of the film is just this energy that it has it's just relentless it's really lively it's really piercy it's non-stop yeah. you kind of look at your watch when it's over and you're like god that went fast um <laughs> i mean did you have that in mind when shooting maybe that plays into the documentary um style or is that something that you could kind of make the most of in the edit like in the post-production process yeah well we we the film was definitely very highly structured and we had a real purpose for every scene we knew where it be began and ended but um you know ultimately that afforded us a lot of freedom on set to shoot in this improvisational way and the results of that are that you end up with like a mountain of footage that that is uh, you know pretty hard to to find your way through um you know in the traditional narrative way like you couldn't really go off the script and end up with anything less than like a four-hour movie that you know which our rough cut was three hours long um but once we got to that point you know we got it down to an hour 45 in like a week and a half two weeks so mm -hmm. it was it was definitely one of these things where like we cut a bunch of stuff or like edited a bunch of stuff and then it was like slash and burn it was very you know um it, i wouldn't say it was easy but i think we we were then able to really dig in and find much like a documentary what is the structure that the footage is leading us to you know and and it's unfortunate because the footage is sometimes leading you to cut some of your favorite stuff you know you have this thing that you think is so funny and so wonderful and then you see it in context and it's like man like that's just not working um and uh it was it was a lot of, a lot of that 
this comes from real life experience this film it's, you guys um met at theater you you did it a lot as kids um is there yeah. a specific kind of real life experience you had at a theater camp that you can single out made it into the film or like a version of it you know uh, one thing that i think just pervades the whole movie is this way in which like the um directors of of youth theater really believe so deeply that like that there, there's like a life and death quality to to the show working and the show being executed well. And there are like just small moments in Ben's performance that, you know, and, and definitely Molly's as well, but but Ben brought such almost a scary intensity to the direction the direction of uh the play as Amos. And so I think like that aspect of like, you know, I I've I've certainly had drama teachers who like would cut a tech kid down to size like you know, so furious that this light wasn't exactly as they said they wanted it to be. And it's like, this is a 15 year old who's never done this before. Like, it's really not about your artistry. It's probably about like, you know, helping them learn how to do it. But at the same time, some of those experiences are what push people to, you know, I think learn their craft and take it seriously and think, yeah, it really matters. Yeah, this might be like a high school production, but like if the sound isn't working, then, you know, then there's something like almost cosmically wrong that's happening, you know, um, to not to not have everyone operating at, at the top of what they can do. But sometimes the top of what they can do is only what a 15 year old can yeah. do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, there are some incredible musical numbers in the film, particularly the final one, which still goes around in my head regularly <laughs> um, months after seeing it. Um, what went into putting those together? Yeah, I mean, we we knew that we wanted to and the movie with uh, with an original musical. And so we found uh, a collaborator, a wonderful composer and songwriter, Mark Sonnenblick. And so the, the five of us got together and and like well before the film was officially greenlit, we were going to go uh, make it. We were already working on those songs. And, you know, I think we wanted the, the musical to have a classic feeling and <clears throat> and certainly um point to and be a pastiche of these classic uh kinds of numbers that are in you know every musical be it the uh tap number or the 11 o'clock ballad um we uh we got to do our own versions of each of those and uh i'm a big fan of disco music as well and so we were like really trying to key into like exactly the right level of darkness and and grooviness and you know the 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 exact point of of reference for for that number so so it was it was one of the joys of this whole process was conceiving of that musical and uh, and writing the songs yeah absolutely um i think one of the nicest things about the film is that it's very much poking fun at camps like this and the people in them, but it's also really a love letter to them as well. And I never really engaged with theatre as a kid, but I connected to it so much and that kind of heartfelt element to it was really lovely. Can you just talk about striking that balance um, with the script and with directing? I think that comedy does sometimes help like almost short circuit our cynicism and allows emotion to to come through. And I think one of our goals was to 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 let the connection to these characters and the connection to this place creep up on you in, in a certain way and not be something that was so on the surface, heartfelt and sentimental and instead was ironic and and didn't necessarily have a positive 
a solely positive relationship to to theater camp, um, but that landed you in a place where you appreciated um, both what it meant for these kids to have a place where they could be free and they could be themselves, but also that theater can grab you no matter who you are, whether you're some crypto bro who you know doesn't care about it, or or you know you're a, a lifelong diehard uh, musical theater fan. You still have experiences that sort of you know, uh, are super life affirming and, and emotional. And, um, and I think like we, we wanted to, uh, use the absurdity of the film to broaden even the audience of who might, who might be open to that kind of experience. Yeah, absolutely. Which it 100% does. Uh, I've got to let you go, but my last question is just that now you've got the, uh, directing bug for features, what's next for you? Are you keen to work on something else long form? I think we're all very eager to, yeah, keep working, but, um, you know, it's definitely a, a, a challenging moment for anybody to be working right now in the American film industry, um, due to the strikes that are occurring. And I think that, um, Right now, our focus is on, you know, getting people to see theater camp and also uh, resolving these uh, conflicts in a fair and equitable manner. Absolutely. Nick Lieberman, thank you so much. Okay, that was Nick Lieberman talking about theater camp. Helen, should we do the show right here? Yay! Let's talk about theater camp because it is time for the reviews section, folks. Theater camp, theater camp, hell's bells, theater camp. Hello. Yes, this is, I thought, fantastic. So it's basically about, you know, Americans go away to camp in the summer. They go to these, like, you know, teenagers will be bussed off from major cities to camps somewhere in the countryside and they will have an idyllic few weeks of canoeing and, yeah, I don't know, climbing things or walking around places. I don't know what they do. I'm not American. Uh, but in this case, it's a themed camp. It is for theatre kids. It, they end the summer by putting on several big shows for all their parents and any interested parties to come along to. And this one has been going for years. It was set up and... Um, and is, is shepherded by Amy Sedaris's character, Joan, but she has a sudden stroke just before the summer starts. Yikes. And her hapless influencer son, Troy, played by Jimmy Tatro, who's really funny, has to take over running this camp. And he's wildly unqualified. Um, so then the heads of uh, music, Rebecca Diane, which is Molly Gordon's character, and the head of drama, Amos, Ben Platt's character, essentially end up doing a lot of the heavy lifting and trying to, to keep this thing going. So there are a lot of shows going on at the time. Um, one of them is an immersive cats if you want to have nightmares. Hmm. I cannot imagine is anything... Is it the bumhole card? <laughs> I can't imagine anything in a theatre being worse than an immersive cats. But anyway... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the two worst words in theater put together. It just just doesn't bear thinking about. Uh, anyway, uh, but the one we're, con we're the one we're mostly concerned with in this kind of mock doc is called Still Joan, and it's the story of their camp founder, and they are trying to write a musical about this woman's life and have kids put it on, and it's amazing and delightful and weird and makes fun of theatre kids and theatre people while also being enormously affectionate towards them at the same time. It's, you know, it's very much kind of the, the attacker is inside the house, but the attacker also loves the house. So really, <laughs> how mad can you be? Um, Ayo Edbiri plays Janet, who is this woman who has lied on her resume about being able to do all this stuff and then turns up and has literally no clue what's happening. And the kids, I should say as well, the kids are off the charts, great, talented, funny, 
reacting in all the right places. It's so funny. It's so clever. It's so brilliantly done. It is a mockumentary, as I say. Um, so, yeah, but it's kind of done with enough wit and smarts and knowingness mm. that it, that it kind of works. I just, I had a great time. I've seen it twice. I went back and saw it again. Um, it also has a great song at one point, which could be could be a rival to I'm Just Ken if next year's Oscars <laughs> actually happen. So uh, fingers crossed for that. But yeah, totally delightful. If you want a nice little night out in the theatre, and especially if you are or were a theatre kid, this is essential viewing. It really is. It's wonderful. We gave it four stars. Four well, stars. Well deserved. I haven't seen it. I haven't. I've barely seen anything this week because I was away. Uh, but I'm very very excited about this. I've been, I've heard good things for some time. Yeah, Sometime. probably from me and Sophie. Yes. Mm. Uh, I really want to see it. Yeah. I do really want to see it. I couldn't make either of the screenings annoyingly. Four stars then for Theatre Camp. Let's go next to Scrapper. Jimbo. Yes. Uh, yes, this is written and directed by Charlotte Regan. It's her first film. And what a film it is. Mm. It's uh, It kind of sort of thematically, I guess, has a, has a lot in common with After Sun, though not so much tonally. Uh, this one stars Lola Campbell as Georgie. She's a 12-year-old in a West Ham t-shirt. She's living on an estate in East London. Her single mum has recently died. Uh, and she's essentially raising herself. She's telling everyone she's living with her uncle Winston Churchill. Yes, absolutely that. Uh, While essentially raising herself, she's stealing bikes and sort of flogging them to a local bike dealer with her best friend Ali, uh, who's played by Ali Nazoon, and just sort of getting by until one day a stranger climbs over the fence to her little house and claims that his name is Jason, that he's her dad. She doesn't want him there, and he basically inserts himself into her life, and they gradually start to have a relationship together. I think what's interesting about this is, like, unlike After the Sun, and unlike, you know, say, Sarah Gaffron's Rocks, like, it covers that kind of, there's, there's poverty to it, there's sort of parental relationships, there's fractured families in there, but it's strangely joyous. Mm. Like, it's cinema verite kind of covered in glitter and smelling of bubblegum because she has this really vibrant inner fantasy life whereby, you know, she she makes friends with the house spiders in, in her house and gives them dialogue and whatnot. And she wanders the streets with Ali and they just have fun just chatting to each other. There's lots of sort of hangout, I'm assuming, heavily improv dialogue, but it's absolutely brilliant. It's incredibly organic. Um, and there are sort of to camera narration sequences from her teacher from her neighbours, all really funny from the social workers. Very funny, very heightened. And she's an incredibly, she's got a real gift of sort of sort of capturing visual flair because there's the colours of the houses mm-hmm. are very particular. There's a fancy where they, she's got these three boys on bikes there wearing suits with yellow bikes. There's sort of pink dressed girls all doing each other's hair. So it has a really surreal fantasy-like feel to it. And even the, so it's not poverty porn in any way, shape or form. And it's not talking about the sort of crushing weight to sort of living on the breadline. It's all about this girl who has been left all on her own. And I think that's where the emotional weight is. It's the feeling she has for her mother who died. And that's really... I mean, it will make you cry. I'm not saying... Yeah. It 100% will make you cry. But it's not crushing and it's not heavy. It's beautifully done. It's massively uplifting. I think Harris Dickinson is really, really great in this. He's great, yeah. Yeah, he kind of has a kind of gawky cool, but he's also... He's quite sensitive. He's not a great dad, but he's doing his best and his heart's in the right place. Like, obviously, about 
17 when he had her. Yeah. He was like a club promoter in Ibiza. Uh, and it's just watching their relationship grow over time. And there's no artificial, and actually it's been criticised for this, that there's no sort of artificial tension or trauma or tragedy or an inciting in- incident where he does something terrible. Like It's just about these two people feeling each other out, getting to know each other, and sort of a bond developing between them. And it's, it's wonderfully life-affirming, and I absolutely adored it. I think we should also say that Lola Campbell as Georgie is yeah. out of this world Her great. first role, isn't it? She's yeah. so good in this. But she's also, you know, I think a lot of the reason that the film doesn't feel crushing because it is about this girl who's been left totally alone, you know, grief-stricken. She had a really close relationship with her mom and she's now fending completely for herself. And what what saves it and what kind of keeps it going is the resilience and the strength that this kid has. Mm. That she is, you know, she's cleaning the house. She is cleaning the house every day to keep it the way her mum would have liked. You know, she's she's fussing about the cushions and making sure they're plumped the right ways and comparing it to pictures on her phone of when her mum was alive. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking on one level, but it's also just so beautiful and such a great way to illustrate that she is kind of coping in a way that she no one should have to cope with and certainly you shouldn't expect a child to have to mm. cope with but she is keeping it going and it is it's beautiful and inspiring even before you you start to get into this this new relationship that they that they build together and that they build so beautifully um but yeah i mean what a couple of years for first time british directors called charlotte telling stories about um, <laughs> daughters and fathers you know it's i mean this is this i think is yes there's the obvious comparison to after sun i think we're right to make it but at the same time it's a very, oh, different, very different film yeah. in its tone and its outlook and what it's trying to say but yeah i mean it uh, just just gorgeous absolutely gorgeous film yeah really 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 lovely film mm. you, you might suffer from those comparisons do you think I, I think it's different enough and it becomes mm. different enough I think there's a moment I had a moment certainly early on because I had heard the comparison so much I had a moment of sort of disconnect of like oh this is nothing like After Sun and I had to kind of get past that for a second yeah. so but it is very different in tone as James said mm. already it's it's it is very much its own beast I was fortifying yeah. myself for this because I thought it would be traumatic because After Sun is After Sun isn't entirely traumatic I mean it hits you hard mm. and it's quite brutal at times but it's not it's not truly miserable but this this is genuinely uplifting like you come out of this with a little skip in your step it's uh, it's a beautiful little film and it looks stunning as well. Absolutely stunning. Yes, yes, indeed. I agree completely with everything you said, except James West Ham T-shirt. It's a West Ham T-shirt. That's what? not that's not the vernacular. My what friend. is it? What is it? It's a kit. West Ham it's, kit. It's it's West Ham top. It's, it's so, not a so T-shirt. It's like a shirt. Go, it's T-shirt. It's it's, no, it's not. A, it's not a T-shirt. <laughs> if you went if you went, in, if you went into the West Ham club shop, if you went into <laughs> can I have a t-shirt, if you went please? into Sports Direct, you and they Why you said, would I go can I have Direct? a T-shirt? Yeah. They would point you towards a T-shirt section. If they said, can I have a football shirt? They would point you towards but the it's, football shirt. But section. But it's a T-shirt with football colours on it. That's. Do you think that a short sleeve shirt is also a T-shirt? Because that's T-shaped. No, that's a short sleeve shirt. I'm begging you to stop this <laughs> argument. Aren't you, could I just not get credit for getting the team right, which I was quite proud of? Did you Google it? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a tremendous film. Tremendous film. Uh, I have quibbles with Georgie's choice of football team. You but, shock me. But there you go. What can you do? Four stars then for a scrapper. Next up, we have The Blackening, another film I really wanted to see this. I've heard such good things about this uh, for a while, actually. This is uh, the triumphant return of Tim Story. Yeah, it's been a while, right? What was his last film? I don't know. I need to look it up. Okay. But he is the director, of course, of the only two Fantastic Four films that matter worth a damn. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Sure. To anybody. And and Barbershop and Ride Along. Barbershop. 
Barbara. Hi, Barbie. Barbara. I know, I know. Okay. I was, yeah. I was making oh, I see. Okay. hilarious plan words. Right, it's very hard to tell. Um, yeah, this is uh, so. This is a horror comedy. So uh, this comedy. has Antoinette Robertson, Grace Byers, Cinqua Walls, X Mayo, Melvin Gregg, Jermaine Fowler, and Dietrich Bader, um, who, who's kind of cameoing as Ranger. Dietrich Bader. Yeah, he's literally called Ranger White. He's a white man. <laughs> uh, anyway, but uh, okay. but basically, it's about these uh, friends who turn up uh, to their college reunion. Union at a cabin in the woods, and you'll never believe it. It turns out there are murderers around the cabin in the woods. Can you can you fathom I'm such shocked. a thing? I know. Shocked and appalled. And in one of the many smart moves in this film, it does call attention to the fact that they're in a cabin in the woods, guys. Was this really the best place? to meet up after 10 years. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it starts off with, the, you know, the first couple arriving early uh, before the rest and you'll never guess, but that turns out badly for them. Uh-oh. And then everyone else um, is sort of under pressure to play this creepy game called The Blackening with incredibly racist uh, iconography and questions and they are told if they can answer all of these right then they'll basically be able to escape with their lives but you know what it's not going to be that easy um, this is incredibly smart like pop culturally some of those questions that they have to a- answer are all about uh, essentially how black they are quote unquote and also how much they know about um, you know, history, culture, pop culture. Uh, name five black characters from Friends is one of the challenges. Oh my God. Good luck with that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they have, it's just, it's a really smart, knowing, funny film. Um, the whole idea about we can't all, like, all die first is. Yes. That's the that's the tagline is, on the poster. Yeah, it's the tagline, but I mean tagline that tells you what you're laugh. in for, and it is it it lives up to. I thought that promise. I was thoroughly tickled throughout, even before they quoted Sister Act at one key moment. I I just had a great time. It is scary, but it's not it's not the goriest. It's not ungory, but it's not you know it's not full on kind of splatter horror gore. Right. It's probably scream levels. I would say. Okay, um, that's pretty gory. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. No, but I would. I think it's. I think it's scream levels, but not sort of full on, you know, Evil Dead levels. Let's say. Okay. Um, All right. But yeah, I had a great time. We gave it three stars. Um, so you were much more up on it. I'm a, much a, more. I were, had. Yeah. I saw this first thing on a Monday morning, and it was you know just a great start to the week. What a what a way to start. What a wonderful. Uh, but Kim, start. who obviously knows a lot about horrors, was uh, slightly more down on it, so he gave it three, which is still a recommendation. Okay, that sounds great. I cannot wait to see it. And by the way, uh, Helen, in answer to your question, Tim Story, uh, he directed Tom and Jerry the movie just two years ago. Okay. Two years before that, he directed the, the somewhat regrettable reboot of Shaft. Uh, oh. And before that, he did Ride Along 2, Think Like a Man 2, Ride Along, Think Like a Man. This is going backwards, by the way. He didn't do yeah, the sequels before no, I, the, I, I <laughs> the movies. Uh, Hurricane Season. Uh, and then, of course, in 2007, his masterpiece, Fantastic Four, Rise, Rise of the, of the Silver, Silver Surfer. <laughs> Three stars in for the Blackening. Helen disagrees and we give it at least one extra star. Uh, and Helen, you've also seen, um, and thank you for doing all the work this week, uh, you've also seen The Innocent. I have, yes. This is a French film that stars, is directed by, and is co-written from a story by Louis Garel who, of course, we all remember as hot Professor Bear in Greta Gerwig's Little Women. And also oh. Louis XIII in the hot French Musketeer. Or Florence Pugh. 
uh, gets mowed down, mowed in, down a in a hail, hail of, of bullets. bullets. Well, you're right. This is a crime comedy heist rom-com. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's a little tonally uneven. If I'm totally and utterly honest well no this is pretty pretty consistently chaotic uh, but it is it's about a boy and his mum basically so he plays Abel who is a, a guy who has been uh, we learn he's, he's lost his wife in a car accident he's a little bit kind of just stymied in life uh, Anouk Grimberg is his mum Sylvia who's a prison theatre teacher right and we meet her teaching these guys these cons how to act and working through scenes with them and um and she actually marries one of them. She marries Michelle, who's played by Roche Zem. Um, and uh, Abel is really, really, really deeply suspicious of this guy and starts trying to follow him around the streets. He's convinced he's going to be getting into trouble and breaking his mum's heart and all this kind of stuff. He's helped in this by Noemi Merlon as Clemens, who is um, his, his late wife's best friend and his friend. And the two of them basically tried to do a sting on this guy who they suspect of stuff and then the plot gets even more and more ridiculous from there I'm not going to spoil what happens but so is it's, it a, a dark thriller or is it a no, fun thriller it's a fun, knowing wink it's a knowing fun comedy thriller it's interesting um, yeah it's a really odd tone and I do feel like it's not always maybe as perfectly handled as it could be I feel like there's a couple of moments where you, you know you maybe needed like an extra reaction shot of somebody's face to really kind of sell a particular emotional beat or you, you needed just maybe a little bit more explanation of this or a little bit less of that. But generally speaking, um, I had just a great time. I thought it was really funny, really charming. He's got fabulously well-tousled hair throughout as he's sort of stomping <laughs> through the city looking suspicious <laughs> about things, which I was extremely on board with. Good, and I, good. you know, I just, I just had a really nice time. Yeah. Amazing. What do we give it? I can't find an Empire review yet, I'll be honest. I would give it at least a three, maybe edging towards a four, but certainly a high three. All right. Okay. A high three indeed. Sounds like a decent week of the movies. It really is. After mm. a couple of weeks that were, you know, it's mm-hmm. okay. Less than good. Yeah. Less than good. And hey, listen, if you are bored with going to the cinema, you shouldn't be. Support your local cinema. Uh, support a cinema that isn't even local to you. Go out of town. Have the weekend off. Have a great night in the hotel. At the cinema. And, and then you know at what? the hotel. Bill it to the Empire Podcast. Don't do that. Don't don't no, do that. Don't, don't do that. Do that. No. As don't, your accountant as well as your don't do uh, that. lawyer, don't do that. We'll pick up the tab. We won't. We, we won't will not pick, pick up, up the, the tab. tab. No, we won't. It's all on us. No, it isn't. It's not on us. It's not absolutely on us at all. Oh, uh, but have a great time. Go and see films at the cinema this weekend. Uh, take the weight off your feet. But if you don't want to do that and you want to sit at home and chill out on Netflix, as I believe the popular saying is... Uh, you could do a lot worse than watch Lay Cloned Tyrone, which is absolutely terrific. You guys refuted it a few weeks ago. Uh, I saw it after that, fell in love with it. It's one of my film, favorite films of the year. And I was so inspired by the movie that I uh, wanted to talk to the film's director, Chuel Taylor. I forgot the big news. Big news. About Barbie. Barbie. Barbie is now the highest grossing film in Irish box office history. It has overtaken Titanic and Avatar. You're talking out Ireland. your hoops. Forty shades of pink, baby. Jesus. Jesus. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Hi Barbie. Ken. <laughs> Hi, Kieran. <laughs> Hi, Roisin. I'm just Ken. <laughs> Anywhere else, I'd be a ten. Beyond your wildest Ken. Be one. That's the Scottish. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my Gaelic's confused. Oh, uh, dearie me. Uh, anyway. Dearie me. 
They cloned Tyrone. Tyrone, yes. of course, being uh, a county, county in, in Ireland. Ireland. Yeah. Uh, that's not what the movie's about, by the way. Uh, they cloned plus Tyrone. Six equals one, Chris. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Why that wasn't controversial statement. Was it a controversial statement? I'm not sure. I? I'm not sure. I can't tell anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a tremendous film. Here's Joelle Taylor talking to me about it. And once again, I was in my sister's kitchen. So if I sound weird or my accent gets magically stronger, <laughs> then that's why. This is such a great film. Enjoy it. We are delighted to be joined in the Empire podcast by the co-writer and director of Lay Cloned, Tyrone, Joel Taylor. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm in my sister's kitchen in Northern Ireland, hence the uh, the sound quality. But uh, I thank you so much for talking to me because I love your film. And I imagine that you are getting a lot of people finding it now. Finding it now is on Netflix. And uh, it must be interesting seeing the reaction to your film build in real time. Uh, no, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, we're very grateful to have anybody watching it at all. Obviously, it's easy to slip through the cracks, you know what I'm saying? Uh, especially like, I mean, I, I went to see Barbie on, <laughs> on the, the 21st when it came out. I went to see Barbie. So it's like I was, I was in the Barbenheimer, uh, you know, tornado just like everybody else so like you know the fact that anybody kind of found a little bit of time to watch this movie and it came, it came out of that barbenheimer frenzy you know is it's just super cool in general and just seeing um just seeing like different people's interpretations of it and different people's reaction to it i think that's definitely what we were hoping for just you know uh, a robust variety of responses I mean, I even appreciate it. they didn't like it. You know what I'm saying? I, I just if they watched it, if they you know they spent their time, it's still something to be happy about and grateful for. Absolutely, a robust variety of responses uh, is probably about right because it's a it's a film that has a robust variety of tones as well. And I one of the things I love about it is how many tones you manage to kind of navigate and traverse really seamlessly. But that's not easy. You know, you have comedy that, that segues beautifully into horror, which segues into comedy again, and you have action in there as well. It's it's absolutely wild. How did you navigate the tone of this movie? Um, I think it, it really comes from... It, it comes in like every phase, you know, I think in, in the script... There's a lot of faith in in uh, committing to the tone because you you really don't know how all the pieces are going to come together. So when you're writing, you're like, "Is this stupid? This might be stupid, but I kind of like it, so we're going to go with it." You know, um, and you, you know, you get you, you get to the script and you try to editorialize in the prose in a way that lets a reader understand the tone, you know, as best you can. Um, but really, I think the biggest the biggest factor is, is the talent, right? The actors really grounded the characters in a way that you know uh, gave you a chance. You know, when, once you got to trying to, especially when you're trying to go from something comedic to something serious, you know, like if those actors can't pull it off, if you if, if you don't believe, you know, uh, that those people are real people in that world, then I think it's going to be hard to hard to reel it back in once you start to lean into the absurd things. And so I think the fact that John and Jamie and Tiana and even the supporting cast 
they were all so in tune with the tone, aware of what the style of humor was, um, that I think they calibrated it. You know what I mean? Like I, I tried to get out the way. You know, like once 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 they started shooting and I saw that they understood the assignment, so to speak. At that point, you just kind of like, I think Barnett, one of our directing teachers at USC, I always say, do no harm. <laughs> I think that's, I always remember that, you know, do no harm. And so definitely tried to keep that in mind when like you have Oscar winners and, you know, Golden Globe winners and, you know, you've got the, the caliber of talent. I think our job was to impart the understanding of the world building the tone, the type of humor, the satire, and let them metabolize it and, and, and you know, kind of regurgitate it back to us on screen. And, and so I think, you know, it's hard to take any credit for it because without them, you know, it wouldn't have a chance of working for, the, for whoever it worked for. It wouldn't have worked uh, were it not for how talented they are. And then, you know, similarly in post, you know, you have, you know, like Syrah, a whole editorial staff, you know, uh, and then the people who came in and also, you know, like gave us, you know, their feedback, Debbie Berman, Mike Tronic, um, you know, editors who came in and, and, and really helped us as well with, with just watching cuts and, you know, I mean, giving us feedback, writers, directors, uh, who also like helped us balance the tone. You know what I mean? Like you have other people that kind of, you buy your shirt back. Oh, that's, that's a little weird. Like, you know, oh, it's kind of killer stepping on this beat, you know. And so you, you, you have an army of people that you're showing the movie to that are, you know, even if they just watch it and you see their reaction, they're still helping you, right? You, you, you screen it for a small room of ten people, and you can feel when you misstepped a lot of times. You know, okay, maybe you know, uh, like maybe let's cut that moment. Oh, let's keep that moment. You know what I mean? I think it's it's such a village of people who, you know, really like donated their time and expertise that, you know, uh, once you kind of do the initial step of explaining the vision, I think it really kind of doesn't go autopilot as much as someone else grabs the wheel. You know, and, and 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 you hope that you gave it proper instructions, right? Um, and hope you let the plane to land. Uh, so I don't, you know, I I don't really want to take too much credit for how the tone turned out because it was relying on so many people. Well, there's there's one scene in particular, um, which is there is a a scene in in which uh, Fontaine and Slick Charles and Yo Yo are going down in an escalator to somewhere. I'm gonna. I'm going to tiptoe around spoilers this time. And Slick Charles starts singing. And Yo-Yo joins in. And you have it in a in a very static shot. You have the camera in a very, very static. And John, John Boyega, is in the foreground. And they're in the background, cavorting and horsing around and just, you know, having so much fun. And he's dialed into a completely different emotional texture. And I think it's just hilarious. And so was that something that came about from from... You know, is that something you got the set and you saw how the set, how the shot was going to line up, and you decided to to stage it, block it that way, or was that something that you found with the actors, or how did that come about? 
Uh, that was in the script. Um, so that beat is scripted. Um, they turned it from, you know, three-eighths of a page to, you know, 50-second 50 50 scene. Um, you know, um, you know, in the in the and the reaction is like, you know, the idea that they start, you know, uh, fucking around and, you know, Fontaine kind of gives them the side eyes, like, you know, it's scripted somewhat like that, but it's just a few lines of the song and it's, you know, uh, it's not, it doesn't become like a beatbox extravaganza that it becomes until, again, like, it, it's the actors metabolizing something that you hope comes across a certain way, right? This this odd couple that they are, which is, you know, what the point of the scene to some extent is like to show you just how much of an odd couple they are. You know, um, and I think they all understood their roles within the odd couple, you know? Like, I'm the stoic straight man. <laughs> I'm the guy, you've never seen him laugh unless, of course, he's under the influence. So, you know, he's not he's not at that point where he's willing to, willing to admit that he is part of the odd couple you know they're just tagging along but you know i don't think i don't think at that moment fontaine necessarily sees them as the three musketeers yet even though they very much are by that point uh but i think you know jamie and tiana are embracing the fact that like we are clearly we are clearly the, Sco- the mystery gang at this point right we're the scooby-doo gang we're the three musketeers so i think that there is a <laughs> you know there's still a a conflict of, of uh a perception between the group um, that Fontaine just like not willing to like let the guard down just yet um, and, and embrace them as his brothers in crime fighting um, and mystery solving brothers and sister. Um, and so, you know, again, like you write that, you, you get to set, you see it and it's like, okay, we'll do a little small drop down. And then as soon as they, as soon as they started, you know, we roll that first take and Jamie just starts boxing. You're like, oh, shit, like this is going to be a totally different thing, you know what I'm saying, than even I imagined it would be, you know. Um, and so I think, you know, that was just the, and like John holding it together, because like every time you cut, like John busts out laughing, you know. And so like the fact that John is like, you know what I'm saying? And I think like, Tiana's like really actually breaking character in the scene that we that we end up using. And she's like actually laughing. Uh, but it like it worked. So I was like, you know, like it's it was working in the context of the scene. And like I love when like I love watching Martin or Jamie Foxx show, or you know, and like somebody and like you hear Tommy and Cole breaking for real. Like, you know what I mean? Like I think I always get very endeared to characters when I see the act of breaking character, if I think it's like something that's very organic happening. So the fact that like Tiana started like snickering and laughing and joined in, you know, because her, what she's saying is not scripted. You know, it's only the Mary J lines that have, that have been flipped. So it's like three lines in the script and like, let a motherfucker try me. Like she, that's just Tiana feeding off of Jamie's energy. And so, you know, I, I think they took, what was like, you know, this big on a page and like, you know, turn it into, you know, kind of a different animal. I knew it. I knew it. I knew she was improvising that bit. I knew it. Thank you for confirming that. Yeah, the only thing that's scripted is uh, the, uh, the I'm going down lines. Okay. 
I've got to ask about John as well, because, you know, Jamie and Tony are phenomenal in this film. But John, you know, obviously, again, we're tiptoeing around spoilers, but I think it's fairly well known by now that he plays more than one role in this movie. And my God, he runs the gamut. He's he's just incredible. You know, what, what, made, what made you go for him and what gave you the confidence that he could pull that off? Yeah, I mean, we got so lucky getting getting John, man. Yeah. He's so down to earth, like beyond, um, you know, beyond set, you know, just hanging out with him. And I think I was very apprehensive in the beginning because I didn't know how he could embody a Southerner, you know. Um, so I was like, man, you know, I'm, you know, from as deep of the deep south as you can get. Uh, so I knew that, like, if John can't embody, like, the Southerner that my friends recognize, they're going to call me out on, you know. And talking with John, I think, like, seeing like his work ethic and just how much he preps and, and and seeing that he like he came and like immersed himself he just like <laughs> just dove into like southern culture you know be like he i feel like he's in atlanta more than he's in london now you know uh, <laughs> and just having that conversation with him and like being able to be like very honest like hey you know we really got to hit the southern he's like i'm 10 steps ahead of you i already know you know what i'm saying and and we didn't we didn't go like full down the rabbit hole southerner you know we we dialed it back like let's keep it somewhat neutral you don't have to hit the most heavy accent you know what i mean but i think that also helped knowing that like he didn't have to be the most southern person of all time you know what i'm saying and so but he i mean he had a dialect coach uh he had movement coach you know what i mean he was he was working out on the, you know, working out on the weekends, like walking on a treadmill, doing lines just to get the physicality of, of the character. Like he was, he was going so above and beyond to distinguish all of these characters. Cause he was also, you know, to get away from spoilers, he was doing another movement to learn how to embody another version of himself. And he was doing like one hour on the treadmill walking in a whole different posture. So he was walking the treadmill for multiple hours every weekend reciting these lines moving in completely different postures and it's like i think that's what makes him a movie star that's what makes him you know one of the best actors in the world is the fact that he has so much attention to detail and and he really like he really like understands you know he understood the assignment like like all the way in and out and, and he was really like immersive when it came to like understanding like where I'm from, you know what I'm saying? And understanding like the culture and like talking to people on the street, go to Walmart and just, you know what I'm saying? Like just that kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying? And so I think he, you know, being such a, he's got so much warmth, you know what I'm saying? He's got so much like dry wit. And I think he brought all of that to the character. The character on the page is very stoic, you know, um, he is he is definitely a straight man on the page, you know. Um and he's a lot warmer with John's performance, you know, than he is on the page, you know. And uh I always just like loved that about John. Even back to Attack the Block, you could see it, you know, like like especially the first scene of that movie, what he does, you know, it's like 
you're not supposed to like this guy, but you can't help it because John is so warm. And, you know, he brings that to all of his characters. Well, Joel, I'm glad to go, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was Joel Taylor, and that is that for this week's frankly chaotic uh, edition of the Empire Podcast. Join us next week. I was going to say join us, but I don't think I'm going to be around next week because I'm going to be back in Northern Ireland. Join me next days. week for oh. more film-related fun than we had this week. It's going to be just Helen because I'm going to be in Florida. Where are you? Where are you going, Jimbo? I'm going to be going to uh, Universal's Halloween Horror Nights, where they have a Last of Us horror house, which I'm extremely excited about. Uh, So yeah, looking forward to that. Well, I'm looking forward to being in this grey box while you're off gallivanting. On your own. Just Helen, singing away. Helen, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Then you can have us just pipe in at the end there. No, I probably won't. I'll probably get better people. Uh, Join Helen. (laughs) Next week for more film-related fun ones, she'll be joined by... Oh! Gosh, are you okay? Some, I guess I've, <laughs> I've pulled something. I've done myself a mischief. Uh, you'll be joined by Helen. You will be so delighted to oh, know. already. You will be joined by Ira Sachs, Ooh. director of Passages, right. which has been hailed widely in its marketing as the sexiest movie of the year. Steady on. Have you seen Oppenheimer? Have a banana. You'll also be joined, Helen. I can't wait, Chris. By yep. Antoine Fuqua. What? Because next week, oh, oh. I can't miss next week. No, episode. it's not the equalizer next week, is it? It, it is. is. <gasps> next week. I can't miss that either. But the... it's also it's, scre- it's not screening until Tuesday morning. That's fine. But I won't be here for the recording. Ah, oh, well, shit. Anyway. I can come uh, to the screenings next week as well. Uh, the Equalizer 3 is out next week and I'm not going to be around to talk about it. Ah, uh, The only disappointment in it for me is that I don't get to talk about The Equalizer 3 on next week's show. I've already given it five stars hmm. and I haven't even seen it and I'm not being asked to review it, but I don't I care. I wonder why you're not being asked to review it. If you review it, can you set your watch for like 15 seconds <laughs> and then just do a 15 second review? Yes, let's do that. And there are other good things out next week as well, but those are the people we're talking to. Ira Sachs, Antoine Fuqua. What a week. What a week. What a time to be alive. Mm. On that note, um, it's time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such a lethal cunning. It's goodbye to James Dyer. Goodbye. On this week's Pilot TV oh, podcast, God, we have no. Ruth Wilson talking about the woman in the wall, but also Jonathan Tropper, the creator of Warrior and Banshee and showrunner of the last two seasons of C, is on Frankly Geeking Out With Me and it was glorious. He's like your favorite person in the world after a little Aaron bit, Sorkin. a little bit. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Sounds good. Keep playing it there. Uh, <laughs> all right, excellent stuff. Well done, everybody. Uh, hey, I've been watching a lot of Look Around You. It's on iPlayer. You ever seen that? No, no. you wouldn't like it. Okay, no. you might. Hmm. Ten minutes spoof of oh God. kind of open university stuff from the 1970s, Oh, 1980s. yes, I've heard great things. Peter yeah. Serafinovich, yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Popper. I've heard great things, but... Made know. in the early, early 2000s, lots of cameos, like Edgar Wright's in it, Simon Pegg's in it, people like that. Really, really funny, surreal humor. James, you would absolutely <laughs> hate it. I could tell. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not you. Uh, but it's very, very good indeed. It's also time to say goodbye to our geek queen, Helen Her. Thanks. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm off to. I don't know. Reread next book, which is out today. We should probably say That's true. next book. Yes, yes. we talked about heroes. it. We talked about it a lot last week. But in case you haven't heard that, um, next book, Last Action Heroes, is great. I have read it all, and it is very good. I have read bits of it. I liked a bit where it was me. <laughs> of course, you my did, name yes. was in. We are, the... our names are in the credits. Yeah, yeah that's true. I liked that. 
And so I immediately gave it three stars. Wow, three stars, is, <laughs> which is a recommendation. <laughs> that is too low. That is very much too low, but it's a great book. Um, and yeah, my friend Sarah Cook's book as well is out, Diary of Murder. James, do you have anyone who's got a book out this week? No. Have you made friends with John Grisham, perhaps? Mm, no. And it's goodbye for me. I'm off to edit this and many, many other mm. wonderful podcasts. It doesn't seem like hard work, but it is. But you know what I want to do when I'm feeling a bit low on energy and I want to recharge? That's right, folks. I I have a banana. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.